yeah, I think I'm going to uh, throw all my notes out today. And um, I want to go to Isaiah 42. And so if you will, go ahead and turn there. Isaiah 42, the Lord um, kind of brought me here yesterday morning. And as soon as he said Isaiah, I knew all my notes were basically uh, paperweights today. So um, I feel like I always get brought back to Isaiah once it starts getting close to that Christmas season. Um, I don't know why it feels, it just feels Christmassy. Um, so I, let, let me share a couple of things. I don't normally share stuff like I'm about to share, um, but I think it's, it's worth noting. And some of you that are in the, the midweek group chat have heard this, so, you know, let it be as it, as it is. But uh, this week, we celebrated a couple things, and I actually had no idea that these two things were connected until my phone, the little, you know, I don't know if y'all have the new iOS update, but it'll send out like memories. And, um, and so anyway, so I got a memory and it was a picture of me and my family when I moved, uh, to South Carolina seven years ago. And, um, and I had no idea it was seven years, but then I started thinking and I was like, man, that's really weird. And so I literally, it never clicked until this week. But I moved, this week was seven years since I moved back to South Carolina from Kentucky. I'm from South Carolina, but um, we lived in Kentucky for about 10 years. And so this week was, was seven years since I moved here. But it was also three years since uh, we started this church. And, um, and so I thought that was really interesting. Seven and three obviously are major in the Bible. And, um, and I, so I sat back and I started kind of combing through what all this meant. And so let me just share this with you. And, uh, if this clicks, it clicks. If not, then let me just say this. It probably, it should click. So, um, the number seven, and again, this is why I don't do this a lot because people get weird, but the number seven in scripture all throughout represents divine completeness, um, divine perfection, divine wholeness, but really what it represents is rest. It's, it's an idea, the number seven, when you see it, of course, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the week. It's when the Lord rested. Every seventh year was a Sabbath rest for the land, a year of Sabbath rest for the land. What's up, guys? And, um, and so anyway, so the number seven carries this idea that a work has been complete. Therefore, it's time to enjoy it. That's kind of what the, the number seven represents. Um, and then the number three, of course, three years since we started this church, is the number of the Trinity. Jesus was in the grave three days. It's a number of also completeness, finality, perfection. Um, but really what it carries with it is this, this idea. It's, it's God's divine stamp of completeness. That's kind of the idea that the number three carries. And so I thought it was really interesting that it's been seven years this week. has been seven years since I moved here, which is this, this rest. And that we've been talking about that for a while now. But um, it's been three years since we started Dream to the Week, and uh, it's almost as if God, and I, I mentioned this a little bit last week, is kind of putting his stamp of like, I'm moving you into a new age, that type of, type of feel, a resurrected kind of new life phase. And, um, and so when you throw those together, it's really interesting how um, the Lord has us in a season of primarily rest. That's what 2020 has been all about rest, whether you like it or not, forced rest, right? And um, for most of it, I did not like it, so that's just me. But, uh, you know, kicking and screaming, but I rested. And um, anyway, and so I mentioned this last week, but I just, this is how I want to set this up. Uh, 
the, the week we started this church was also the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation when Martin Luther um, nailed the 99 Theses to the Catholic door in Wittenberg and um, was basically starting this revolution that was in the church. The Catholic church had gotten so corrupt, um, they were selling salvation, so you had to pay a certain amount to be saved, and you know there's just all this corruption. So Martin Luther, primarily through reading the book of Romans, um, nailed these 99 theses to the Catholic door and uh, basically saying, this isn't right, this is actually what the Bible says, and sent us, all of us, because all of us, we don't know this, but all of us in this room today, unless you're Catholic, if you're Protestant, um, you are a fruit of that Martin Luther Reformation nailing those 99 theses. So, um, salvation comes by faith, not by paying a certain amount of money, you know, et cetera. And uh, so we started on the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. It's really interesting. We also started a couple months after the solar eclipse, which our uh, Acts 2 is where we get dream from. And we're also, are we waiting and telling people what the youth call Tuesday? Is that, okay, cool, cool. Um, don't let me forget to mention that too at the end. Um, but anyway, Acts 2 says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is Peter quoting Joel. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The sun will be turned dark and the moon to blood before the coming of the glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, uh, of course, as it would be, uh, right before we started the church was the solar eclipse. First time in Columbia, at least in my lifetime. I don't know about anybody else's. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's been a really long time since we had a perfect eclipse where the sun was turned dark. And then in February, the moon was turned to blood. We had a blood moon that month. And so... Um, Anyway, I say all that to say, you throw all that, put it in the year of 2020, which we've been saying is the year of, of clear vision. I think everybody so looked forward to that in January and now so regrets that today. And because uh, we've had it, we've had it. And what we've seen though, what we've seen though, and, and this is where I want to be real cautious because I know the responses I'm going to get, um, but that comes with the territory. Um. We've seen a big dismantling of, of the megachurch movement this year. A huge dismantling. Um, we've seen leaders of influence, um, things that were hidden be brought to the light, many. Um, and a lot of them aren't even open right now, um, watching online. And um, so we've seen the Lord do that. At the same time, we've seen our culture crying out for justice, whether it be um, through, you know, the racial kind of tensions that have been going on, or whether it be on the other side of the aisle. Right now, there's a huge cry for justice. You know what I'm saying? Count all the, you know, well, stop the count, or count all the votes. I don't know which one it is now, but you know what I'm saying? It was one, and now it's the other. I don't know which one we're on now, but so, but you know what I'm saying? So, but this whole year, justice, 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 we need justice, we need justice. In the year of 2020, and I would agree, I think we do need justice. I think what we have to be cautious about is that how the Lord sees justice is real different than how a lot of us see justice. How Yahweh sees justice is very different than how a lot of us, a lot of us cry out for justice, but then when Yahweh starts to pour out true justice, we start saying, I didn't mean that. 
We'll cry out for, Lord, would you please send justice? And all of a sudden, all the hidden stuff in us starts rising up. And it's like, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I just meant about that man. Or I meant about that group of people. And the Lord, when he begins to pour out justice, everybody gets a taste of justice. Everybody. And so I said this back in the day. Like, I think we should absolutely be cheering. I've been praying for justice for years. We absolutely need justice. But the justice that I'm talking about, and I think all of us in this room, I'm going to just speak for everybody in this family, are talking about is Yahweh bringing his kingdom to the earth. And that means there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And he begins to tear down all of these barriers and he begins to tear down all this stuff. And everybody, equality is brought into the equation through Yahweh's picture. He begins to do all this stuff. But really what he's after is the hearts that have turned away from the truth that we were established in when he began to lay the foundation of his kingdom primarily through his son, Jesus Christ. So as he begins to bring justice, his justice is aimed at your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what his justice is aimed at. Y'all real quiet. That's okay. I'm awesome with it. I don't have any notes, so we'll probably lose a lot of people today. Um, As you can see, we need the seats, so that's okay. Um, Isaiah 42, um, and y'all know I kid partially. Isaiah 42, let me read this, verse 1. Check this out. This is Isaiah. This is not Josh. Isaiah, take it through the inspiration of the Lord. Take a good look at my servant, okay? This is where Isaiah begins to introduce us prophetically to Jesus, okay? Take a good look at my servant. I love him dearly. This is from the Father speaking about Jesus. For he is my chosen one. I've taken hold of him in my strength, and I have clothed him with my spirit. He will cause justice to spring up for the nations. Now, now I want you to hear some of this. Here's some of this right now. He will be gentle. One more time. He will be gentle and will not quarrel with others in public. We all want to be like Jesus, right? He will not exalt his own voice. He would never crush a broken heart. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, by the way. Some of you are like, wait. He would never crush a broken heart, nor disregard the weak and vulnerable. Are y'all hearing some of this? I just feel conviction, like a, like a tension you could cut with a knife. Okay? He'll be gentle, will not quarrel with others in public. He will not exalt his own voice. If anybody should be exalted in his own voice, it should be Jesus. He will not exalt his own voice. He would never crush a broken heart, nor disregard the weak and vulnerable. He will make sure justice comes to those who are wronged. Amen. His inner being will not become faint or discouraged, nor will his light grow dim before he establishes justice on the earth. Even the distant lands beyond the seas will hunger for his instruction. Now that is prophetically speaking about places like America, across the seas. We are across the seas from Israel, okay? Even the distant lands beyond the seas will hunger for his instructions. 
Hear the words of the true God, Yahweh, the one who created the starry heavens and stretched them out. He is the one who formed the earth and filled it with life. He gives breath to every person and spirit to everyone everywhere. I, Yahweh, have commissioned you, talking about Jesus, we are one with Jesus, okay? So, I, Yahweh, have commissioned you in righteousness to succeed. I will take your hand in love and watch over you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a walking light to the nations. Now, listen to this. Your mission, your mission is to open blind eyes, okay? That eye, the word eyes there is also translated in the Hebrew, fountains, So you could also say, your mission is to open closed fountains. Really, really interesting. To set prisoners free from dark dwellings, to open prison doors to those who are held by darkness. I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another God. Most of your Bibles say, I will not give my glory to another. Okay? It's in context of idols, as I'm about to read. I will not give my glory to another God, nor my renown to idols. Don't you see that what I have prophesied has come to pass? That's interesting. Because Isaiah is writing this hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes. So he's prophesying about Jesus, and yet he says this. Don't you see... Don't you see that what I have prophesied has come to pass? And now I am foretelling the future. I declare it to you before it sprouts up. What is he saying? Revelation says it like this. Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the earth. So what is, what is the Lord speaking to Isaiah? He says, don't you see what I have prophesied has come to pass? Now I am foretelling you the future and I declare it to you before it sprouts up. Now why would he do that? Why do the Israelites need to know the Messiah is coming? Would it not be clear that when the Son of the living God shows up to the people of Israel, that it would be crystal clear, oh yeah, that's God. Because remember the last time we see, or one of the times we see in the Old Testament, the Lord show up and walk before a man. Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock and could only see his backside or else it would have killed him. So if Jesus Christ, fully God, is coming into the earth, do we not think we would know, oh, there's God. Why? Because everybody's dying when they look at him. Right? Why is Isaiah getting this prophetic word saying, I'm telling you what's about to happen and what he's going to look like before he comes? Because when Jesus came, he came in a way that only those who trusted the word of the Lord knew, oh, yeah, that's what Isaiah said. The Lord hid the revelation of the Messiah within those who were willing to trust the word of the Lord. Which is why the religious thought he was possessed by demons, that there's no way this could be the Son of God. Why did they think that? Because he came in a way that no one was looking for. And this is, by the way, Isaiah 42 is actually a song. This begins, this is one of the seven songs that uh, Isaiah begins to sing over um, just the people of Israel. Four songs, excuse me, four songs. I said seven. Um, And so this is all a song that Isaiah is singing, a prophetic song. So listen to this. Verse 10, sing to Yahweh a brand new song. 
Sing his praise until it echoes from the ends of the earth. Sailors and sea creatures praise him. Islands and their inhabitants sing his praise. Let the desert and its villages lift their voices in praise. Let the tent villages of Kedar shout their praises. Let the residents of Selah's cliffs shout with glee, with a celebration shout from the mountaintops. Let them give Yahweh the glorious praise he deserves and declare his praise in the islands. Verse 13, Yahweh goes out to battle like a hero. And he stirs up his passion and zeal like a mighty warrior. Yes, his God shout is a mighty battle cry. He will triumph heroically over all his foes. And then there's an interesting note right here that the other um, way that this could be uh, translated is, excuse me, that he will triumph heroically over all his foes, including death. Verse 14. For a, listen to this, for a long time I said nothing. For a long time I have said nothing. The other translation is, I have been silent. Should I remain silent forever and hold my peace? Okay? So for a long time I said nothing. How many of you, just let me ask you this. How many of you, be honest, feel like you've been in a season where you haven't heard a lot from the Lord. Just raise your hand. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Don't lie. Awesome. Awesome. For a long time, I said nothing. I restrained myself and kept silent. But now, I will groan, pant, and gasp like a woman in labor. I will level their hills and mountains and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up their lakes. I will walk the blind by an unknown way. I will guide them on paths they've never traveled. I will smooth their difficult road and make their dark mysteries bright with light. These are the things I will do for them, for I will never abandon my beloved ones. But those who trust in idols, who say to their metal images, you are our gods, will be turned aside in total disgrace. What is an idol? A god? Yeah. What, but what is an idol? An idol is anything that you worship above the Lord. In fact, other than, I should say, because I don't think we shouldn't worship idols even below the Lord. But an idol is anything you worship that is other than the Lord. Okay? Now, what is worship? Because all of us amen that. What is worship? Here's what I would say. The most valuable thing that you have to offer is not your money. It's your time. You can get more money. If I run out of money, I can go to the bank, get a loan, I'll have more money. Or I can go ask for people, hey, can you give me some money? And I can get more money. The one thing I can't get more of is time. When you use it, you use it. It's gone. So the best worship I can give is not my money, and it's not my song. It's my time. Right? Because that's my most valuable asset. Okay? So, so hear me. Hear me. Hear me. What does it mean to worship an idol? It means to worship something other than Yahweh. What does worship mean? Your time. 
Let me say it like this. Anything you give more time to than Yahweh is worshiping idols. And y'all real quiet. I mean, I can, I can preach to y'all the greatest TED Talk that you've ever heard on how to be a great leader in a big organization that has a franchise model. I can do that right now if you want me to. Actually, I'm not going to do that. Or I could be a pastor. Yeah, right? I'm going to be a pastor. I saw, I saw an article this week by this guy, ironically, is a Christian rock star. But, but the article that he wrote was, I don't know if you saw this, um, by John Cooper. Did you see this? Yeah. And uh, wait, did you share it? Were you the one that shared it? Maybe. I don't know. But um, I saw this article this week, and it was by a guy. And he said, let's make, because this is the again, slogan, this command, let's make pastors uncool again. And it was a, literally an entire article about how we have made this, this platform, a place for me to gain, and I say me because I'm up here today, but any pastor, to gain followers and influence and popularity and me to have the newest, coolest shoes and the newest, coolest trends and have the newest, coolest tattoos and all that other stuff, hang out with celebrities and do the whole thing. And the one thing we've lost in all of that is actually being a pastor. What does it mean to be a pastor? It means to be a shepherd. It means when I see something going on in our culture, I have the choice. I can speak to it and bring it back into alignment, or I can say, you know what? I'm going to let them do their thing. I'm going to keep doing my thing because I don't want to step on toes because really I'll use a bunch of, lose a bunch of followers, and our church will lose a bunch of people, and then move into being just a great motivational speaker. The church today has... Tons and tons and tons and tons of very talented motivational speakers, some of the best in the world. What we lack is pastors. We have no shepherds, none. And that's why the sheep are doing this. Where do we go? What do we do? I guess we'll hold on to this. I guess we'll follow this. This prophet said this. Maybe we should chase this. And they're just following all around the When if we had a shepherd to say, hey, sheep, this is where we're going just like Jesus said, Jesus was the great shepherd. My sheep will know my voice. We follow Jesus without even thinking about it half the time. Why? Because something in us knows the frequency. Even when we feel like we're going through seasons that we're not hearing anything, something in us knows the frequency of where to follow, and we follow it. That's what it means to be a shepherd. So my job for you is not to not try to step on your toes. My job is to make sure that you are following the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's what my job is. So that's why I teach things that is, man, Josh, if you wouldn't say that, people would stay. If they're not going to stay for the truth, they don't need to stay. I'm, 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 I'm fired up today. I'm fired up today because I'm sick and tired of Christians being the ones to be the voice for the true Christians. That stops today. Here's what the true Christians say. I trust in Yahweh, my kinsman redeemer. All who have faith are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. What he spoke will come to pass no matter who you vote for, no matter who's elected, no matter what movement's going on, no matter what kind of censorship is going on. We need to get off social media anyway. See it as a blessing. If they start blocking your post, let that be a prophet. You're looking for a prophetic sign. Let that be a prophetic sign. Bye. Get off of it. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Well, bro, well brother, we, and here, and, 
Well, bro, bro we, need to, we need to follow the prophets. All right. Here's what Jesus, there, let me give you the word of the Lord. Delete your social media, says, thus says the Lord. All right, I'm partially joking. I know, I'm going to get so many messages about that. But, well, bro, well, brother, it's a witness. And no, it ain't. It is not a witness. It's a witness for the devil. That's about it. All right. Here, listen to what it says. Verse 18. Hear me, you deaf. Look up, you blind, and see. Who, now, he's talking about Israel. Listen to this. Who is as blind as my servant Israel? Here's what I say. This is Josh. Who is as blind as America? I mean, if he could say this about Israel, who are literally God's people, I feel the liberty to say that about where we are. Who is as blind? Or as deaf as the messenger I send? Who is as blind as my covenant friend, as blind as Yahweh's servant? Israel, you have seen so much, but you do not get it. You have been taught so much, but what did you really hear? One more time. That just feels so good to say. Israel, you have seen so much, but you don't get it. You have been taught so much, but what did you really hear? For the sake of his righteousness, Yahweh was eager to exalt his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and robbed, trapped in holes and hidden in houses of bondage. They are like prey that no one will rescue, like spoil with no one to say, bring them back. Doesn't anyone understand this? Will any of you pay attention to this in the future? Who gave up Jacob to looters and Israel to robbers? It was Yahweh himself. Who? Listen to this. Who, who do you think gave you up to robbers? It was me. It was Yahweh himself against whom we have sinned by not walking in holy ways nor heeding holy words. So he poured out the heat of his anger, and they suffered the fury of war. His anger enveloped them in flames, but they still did not understand. Consumed by fire, yet they did not take it to heart. Well, brother, that's the old. You can say that's the old all you want. I feel a lot like that's maybe what we're in right now. Is the Lord saying, I've tried to wake you up. I've tried to send you leaders. And then your leaders became TED Talkers. I tried to send you prophets. But then your prophets became money launderers. I tried to send you apostles. But your apostles became wimps. I tried to do this. And none of you listened. So the only thing I have left is to get you down to the root where all you have left is to say, I either trust in the Lord or I don't. And once we get there, there is a Jesus movement that's going to come out of a remnant, that's going to come out of the chopped down tree that is the holy seed in the stump that's actually going to establish his kingdom in the earth. That's what we're seeing right now. Half the churches in America are closed to this day. Close. And I'm not here to judge. You do whatever you want. I'm just saying, half the churches in America are closed. Do we think Yahweh is not in control? Stop fooling yourself. Do we think Yahweh's not in control of his bride? If the Lord wants things open, let me tell you something. 
No man can stop what he wants to have open. He says it like this. Ready? The doors I open, no man can shut. And the doors I shut, no man can open. Boy, is that a word. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Isaiah 43. Are y'all good? I'm happy. Isaiah 43. Now, this is what Yahweh says. And he says all that stuff, and this is what he says. Oh, man. Now, this is for us. You ready? Listen, Jacob. It's right after. The one who created you, Israel. To the one who shaped who you are. Do not fear. Let me back up two verses. Okay? Who gave you up to looters and robbers? It was me against whom you sinned. You didn't walk in holy ways. Heed holy words. I poured out the heat of my anger. You suffered. He and his anger enveloped you in flames. They did not understand. Consumed by fire, yet they did not take it to heart. But listen to the one who shaped who you are. Do not fear. For I, your kinsman redeemer, I told on this a couple weeks ago, I, your kinsman redeemer, will rescue you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the sea, you can count on me to be there with you. When you pass through the raging rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through persecution like fiery flames, you will not be burned. The flames will not harm you, for I am your Savior, Yahweh, your mighty God, the Holy One of Israel. I give up Egypt as the price to set you free, Cush and Seba in exchange to bring you back. Since you are cherished and precious in my eyes, and because you love me dearly I and want to honor you, because I love you dearly and want to honor you, I willingly give up nations in exchange for you, a man, that's Jesus, to save your life. I am with you now, even close to you, so never yield to fear. I'll bring your children from the east, from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, hand them over, and to the south, don't hold back. Bring me my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is the last thing I'm going to read. Bring me everyone who is called by my name, the ones I created to experience my glory. I myself formed them to be who they are and made them for glory. Whiplash. Th- think about this. Think about this. A whole chapter. You've turned away from me. You've worshipped idols. I did all this stuff you still didn't understand. You're blind as a bat. All this other stuff. And then verse 43, chapter 43, right after he says, but hear the word of the Lord, the one who formed you. Don't fear because I'm going to save you. What? Why? That's my question. Why? Why waste your time? We've tried. We did the law. We had Moses. We had the whole thing, and they still turned away. And yet, out of love for the one that you formed, you're still willing to go beyond that and say, the law didn't work. They didn't listen. The prophets didn't work. They didn't listen. So this time, I'm going to send them a sign that they cannot miss, and it's going to be me. And as he's hanging on a tree, and I've taught this before, as he's hanging on a tree, going through the mind of Jesus, who has been there from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, who was there in the beginning. He's looking out on his creation saying, 
I hope you see what I see in you through this. And it's not the decisions you've made. It's not how awful you are because you are. It's not how sinful you are. All I see within you is the one that I formed in your mother's womb. And this becomes a sign that Christ came to take what the enemy had stolen, not because the enemy's powerful, but because the people of God handed it over. Yahweh came to fix it. And so today, I feel the Lord moving us. Remember, year seven for me, year three for us. We're in the year of 2020. And I'm about to say something that is re- people are really not going to like. Okay? So I'm just giving you time to process before I say it. We're in the year of 2020. We're 500 now and three years away from the Reformation. We're in a culture that is trying to find its footing as leaders are falling and movements are falling and churches are falling where a bunch of Christians are questioning, is God even real? The person I followed my whole life is now this and is God even real? And this person said this, is God even real? We need to stop trusting solely in what people say. You don't need to trust solely in me. Please. Don't trust, well, Josh said it, so it must be the word of the Lord. I pray real hard about everything I say, but you need to go to the Lord yourself. He he wants to use me to send you into the place where you hear from him. He does not want me to be the exclusive voice of God in your life. That's not what I do. What I do is give you seeds that you can go in the secret place tonight or tomorrow morning or all throughout this week and begin to plant them and say, I remember Josh said this, but Lord, what do you want to do with me in that? Josh didn't tell me how to be happy. You know why? I don't have the key for you being happy. Yahweh does. So all I can well, how do I find joy in this season? The feet of Jesus, that's it. Is he enough? Do you know what I'm saying? I said this last week. Is Jesus enough? We have to ask ourselves this question in America. Is Jesus enough? Because if Jesus is is enough, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you haven't lost anything. If, If Jesus is everything to you, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you've lost nothing Let me help you, because Jesus is king. He's not president, he's king. Nobody can vote him out, we've tried. Nobody can vote him out. We've had elder boards for years try to vote Jesus out of the church. (laughs) That just felt so good. I've been saving that one for a long time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That was good, that was good. Thank you, sorry, Lord. Um. (laughs) They, they, They do it to themselves. We, but I can't, I can't, but we, we've, we've done this. You know what I'm saying? And, and the Lord is saying, well, I, I want back in my church. I want my church back. And if it means I've got to shut y'all out for a year for you to realize what the truth is and what the reality is and really where you are, I'll shut you out for a year. I feel like the Lord is saying in a lot of places right now, don't come back in my church unless you're for real about this thing. But we've made, we've made the whole thing about reaching. I love reaching the lost, but I've said this forever. We've got to get the saved people saved before we ever think twice about reaching the lost. What are we t- saving them to what? To escaping hell? I mean, is that literally, is that what we're doing? Is that where we've gotten to as a culture? Brother, if you repeat this prayer, you won't go to hell. Huh? 
I, listen, I don't think three times in my day about hell. You know why? Because it's irrelevant to me and it should be irrelevant to you. I'm not saved from hell. I'm saved into a kingdom that the leader of that kingdom, and the increase of his government and the increase of his peace, there shall be no end. Let me, how many, let me ask you this. How many messages did Jesus preach trying to save people from hell compared to bringing his kingdom? I'll help you out. Very little. And listen, if, if that's what we, brother, we need to do spiritual warfare. Let me tell you how we need to be doing spiritual warfare. At the feet of Jesus. Man, that was cool. At, at, at the feet, of, you know what I'm saying? Well, but man, we just need to, we, we just need to fight this. We need to fight this. We need to fight it, fight it, fight it. No, we, we need to get saved. We need to get born again. That's what we really need to be doing. Right? Let Yahweh take care of the leaders. Let me, let me just, let me just, none of, nobody's ever read this because most people in America have never read their Bibles. Romans 13. Romans 13. Again, if I'm a shepherd, I got to be a shepherd. Romans 13. Every person, every person, this isn't Josh, Paul, who everybody loves, most people love more than Jesus. Every person must submit to and support the authorities over him. Uh-oh. For there can be, listen, there can be no authority in the universe except by God's appointment, which means that every authority that exists has been instituted by God. So to, listen, so to resist authority is to resist the divine order of God which results in severe consequences. For civil authorities don't imitate those who are doing wrong, for those who are doing wrong, or excuse me, but those who are doing wrong. So do what is right, and you'll never need to fear those in authority. They will commend you for your good citizenship. Now, he's talking about Rome. Rome is not America, trust me, far from, from America. But, however, I will say this. If Paul's writing to a bunch of people who are under the authority of the Roman government saying you need to submit to your leaders, let me say, I mean, these are the same leaders who burned down the temple in AD 70. So if Paul is saying submit to your leaders, how much more? Should we, as the body of Christ, living in a completely free nation, say, I might not agree, but you better believe I'm going to honor. I, this, I know this isn't popular. And I, you know how I know it's not popular? Because we do a poor job of honoring any leader in our lives. We got people who will call out pastors for every little thing they say, and very few people who will just honor the leaders that the Lord has put over their lives. We, we got people who will break unity like it's nothing. Pastor, well, oh, bro, pastor, pastor said this. I can't go to that church anymore. And again, we're, we're not talking about the virgin birth. We're talking about in 2020. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about race. We're talking about justice. Those things. In every church. Every church that I've talked to, every pastor says that they're afraid to say anything because they know people are going to leave if they speak it. That's an issue. That is a problem. And I'm speaking that right now because there's going to be things I say you don't like. 
There's going to be things I say that you might not even agree with. But that's where the test of honor comes in. Either you honor your leaders or you don't. And in those moments, you have to say, the Lord has placed that person, me or anybody else that's leading this church, the Lord has placed that person in my life to lead me, and I don't agree with them. I don't know if I even line up with what they, but I'm going to trust, and I'm going to honor, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're leading me in the way the Lord wants me to be led. Nobody amen that. I know because some of y'all don't agree with anything I say, but that's okay. That's all right. But, I, oh man, just, just the Lord, we, we've got to realign ourselves. Do you know how much when Paul begins to teach some of this stuff that the disciples didn't agree with? The 12 that walked with Jesus. Paul is out telling people, you don't got to be circumcised to be in this. And the disciples are like, oh, hold up. I don't know about that. And they come back. And Peter and the disciples at this council make the decision, you know what? The Gentiles, it's okay. They don't need to be circumcised. In our day, it'd be the church of Paul. It'd be the church of Peter. And they would be throwing shade like it's nothing at each other, trying to steal each other's people, trying to pay for each other's people to be stolen. They'd be doing whatever they could to make sure that thing fails and that thing succeeds. In today's society. But they did not. You know what they did? They said, we might not agree, but one thing we do agree on is the one that showed up to me on Damascus Road. And that's all that matters. I think, I think we would have zero denominations in America if we could just be the body. You know what I'm saying? There's people, listen, I, I don't, let me, let me just say something because I know we do need seats. Um, I don't, I'm not a rapture guy. Y'all know that if you've been here at all, I'm not a rapture dude. It's not in the Bible. I don't believe it's, I'm not a rapture guy. Um, I believe when Jesus comes back, he's coming to bring his kingdom. I don't believe he's coming with atomic bombs for North Korea and blowing up everything and escaping us somewhere. Um, but that's me. That's just me. Okay. That's my personal belief. If you believe in the rapture, guess what? It's okay. We can still be friends. We can still go to church together. We can still do that. It's not, it's okay. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? I believe in justice of all people, not just one, of all people. I believe in justice. If you don't believe in justice, I mean, I just read it out of Isaiah. But listen, we, we, why, why do we just divide? We need, the body of Christ, instead of holding butcher knives, needs to be holding this. Your sword is not a sword. Your sword is the word of the Lord. <laughs> I think it's sad. I had a whole message plan. I think it's sad, but we got to get some stuff straight first. But I think it is sad in America that we've got to talk about some of the stuff. Some of the stuff I'm saying right now, y'all should be like, yeah, of course. But this, this is groundbreaking. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, this, this is, I mean, this is like, whew. Man, I'll, I'll tell you, you know how many people are going to listen to this podcast? A lot of people. You know why? Because this is brand new stuff. People have never heard this. Unity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> you, you, what's that? Pra- like Alan Iverson practice? Unity. You talk about you. <laughs> we talk about unity. <laughs> let me let me just tell y'all something. Let me just tell you something. We're uh, so I warn I forewarned you, okay, before I'm about to say this. Um, now let me say this. There's a reason, and I've gone back and forth on this, and then I've settled that I actually I think I did the right thing this week, possibly. And again, you might not agree. That's okay. Um, but I, I purposely haven't talked about the election on a Sunday because I don't want us to take our focus off the fact that Jesus is king. So I'm going to just keep preaching Jesus. Everything that's going on in America, awesome, doesn't change the fact that Jesus is king. So um, so that's what we've been doing. However, and I'm not going to tell you what side of the aisle. I don't agree with half the stuff on either side of the aisle, to be honest with you. And, um, and so we just need like a, a good, like right down the middle of the road, um, party. I think we have that, but they never get any votes. But anyway, Kanye, Kanye, brother Kanye ruined that. But um, (laughs) man, get everybody a bad name. But oh wait, doesn't he have an album, Jesus King? Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. God bless Kanye. Um, Anyway, anyway, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. So what I'm about to say is not a statement for anybody, okay? Can I, let, me, let me say this one more time really clearly so that Facebook little words pick it up, okay? This is not a statement in support of anyone, okay? So this year, 2020, this year, 2020, okay, seven years since I moved here, very significant. It's three years since we started the church, very significant. It's the year that we've all been saying clear vision, and all that stuff. And it's almost like the Lord is, it has this, this bright, blinking LED light saying, if you were questioning anything that I'm doing here, I'm trying to show you this is everything I told you it would be. And so I thought about this this morning. I haven't shared this. I think I shared this maybe with Ellington. Um, and it, it literally did not hit me until this morning. So the president-elect, do y'all I know you know what his name is, but I'm going to just say this, just rhetorical. Do you, what's his name, his full name? Joseph, right? Joseph. Now, what's the name of our church? Dream. Okay. Who was Joseph? The dreamer. I can feel it. I can feel it. I know... See, I, I know he's not your anointed one. Never should have been anyway. Right? In this year, in this year, in this year, I just, I feel like the Lord is saying, dreamers, this is your moment. This is your moment. I'm not talking about the White House at this point, okay? Again, this isn't, this wasn't, I disagree. I completely disagree with abortion, and you should too. I disagree with homosexuality, and you should too. You're welcome. But I do think we need to fix our climate. (laughs) His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, okay, but... And I told them, whenever the stimulus gets passed, we're going to have a worship service like nobody's ever seen. And y'all better tithe. Um, no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. 
Just joking, just joking, just joking, just joking. I mean, I, you know. Uh, but anyway, all, all, all this, all this together, all this together, the Lord, what the Lord is saying is, is there are, and I got this, this, this um, discernment from the Lord in the secret place a few weeks ago. Matt, you can go ahead and hop up here. And I, I don't think we're going to do the song at the end. I think we're going to just let it ride. Um, but a few months ago, and I shared this, um, I, the Lord, um, how do I say it? I'm going to say this cautiously, showed me, me personally, in, in, in the secret place one morning, that in the next three years, in the next three years, that he was going to pour out, this is the this phrasing he gave me, he was going to pour out the full cup of his justice on everyone. And, uh, and he showed me there's, there's, three, there's three types of people that this, is, that this affects in, in regards to the body of Christ. There is just those who are lost. There is the pretenders. And then there's the authentic ones. Those three. And as he begins to pour out this cup of justice... There's two responses that are totally different from each other that you receive knowing he's pouring out his cup of justice. And it depends on which one of those categories you find yourself in. If you're an authentic one, then as you begin to see his cup of justice be poured out on America, you start to rejoice. Why? Because justice means he's bringing the authentic ones to the surface so that his kingdom can be established in America. If you're a pretender, you got real scared. Because justice means the mask gets melted away. Now here's where things get interesting. If you're lost, what does it mean for the Lord to begin to pour out his cup of justice? Here's what I think it means. I think it means that people are finally, because he's going to erase this gray area between pretenders and authentic ones, that people who are lost are going to begin to see there is a clear decision to be made to be real or to completely deny it. Because right now, we get thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people to repeat a prayer and come into something where we teach them how to pretend. And I say that with a broad stroke. That's not everybody, but y'all hear what I'm saying, okay? And so people, their whole lives have spent in church. This, I mean, this is, this is a lot of how we grew up in the church I grew up in. It was holiness. And so you you wore the right clothes, you said the right stuff, you sang the right songs, and you sure never listened to Hillsong or anything else with an electric guitar. Because if you did, sinner. And I joke about this. I've prayed the salvation prayer more than everybody in this room combined times a million. Every time. I'll never, literally, I'll never forget this. I used to take gum to school, but you know when you have chewing gum in your pocket, everybody wants what you have, right? And, um, but I used to take it to school, and I didn't want to give away my chewing gum. And so, people, hey, hey, Josh, you got any gum today? No. Knowing full well, I had a full pack of gum in my pocket. Right? I, I kid you not, I would, some, at some point in that day, I'd be so convicted. I'd go to the bathroom, make sure nobody was in there, and I'd be like, Lord, 
I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart. Like, you know what I mean? And I mean, literally over and over and over and over and over. I remember one day somebody asked me, hey, um, if you, somebody told me this. And if anybody's ever told you this, don't listen to this. But um, do you know the exact day you got saved? And I was like, no, like, I don't know the exact day I got saved. And they said, well, if you don't know the exact day, it probably didn't happen. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm older at this point. So after I leave that conversation, I'm in my car. Lord, and I'm trying to remember, like, i got to remember this date. Lord, come into my heart. Like, blah, 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 you know, just over and over and over. But I was trapped in this pretend. I mean, literally, I, I, was, I was a part of a religion that was built around you've got to look the part. It doesn't matter what the real you is. All you do is got to look. You got to look the part. You got to say the right stuff. And you got to make sure when you're doing the wrong stuff, nobody knows about it. That's what I was a part of, okay, growing up. And I, I honor a lot of the stuff that I learned in that movement, but, but that's, that's how I grew up. Now, a lot of you might have grown up, especially if you're younger, in a church that was all, you know, the, the rock and roll stuff. And trust me, I've been there, I've done that, and it feels real good for a season. And this isn't dishonoring because a lot of places are not like this anymore. But, and so you've lived your whole life, and now everything's based on how many groups you're in, how many places you're serving in, how many things that you've done with the church, how many times you've been to worship nights, how many Bible plans you've read. But it's the same thing, right? And so you slide yourself into, well, I feel a little bit more liberty to be me, but I still don't want to tell people that I struggle with looking at stuff on the computer when nobody's around me. I still don't want to tell people that I struggle with what happened with me or what happened to me when I was a kid, and I really don't even know if there's a God because of that. See, so we, we go through all this stuff, but there's no real transformation. There's no real being born again. There's, do you know what, it, what does it even mean to be born again? Does that mean you repeat a prayer? Or does that mean there is such a change in your life, it's as if you've crawled back into the womb and been born as a totally new person? Born again. It doesn't mean polished up. It doesn't mean now you're saying the right stuff, but you're the same old person. It means your life is so different that if somebody knew you 10 years ago and saw you walking down the street, they wouldn't even recognize who you were anymore. It's not repeat a prayer and then show up to the party Friday night. It's repeat a prayer and be holy as I am holy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What, what, what does that mean? It means because of Jesus, the Father sees you as he sees his Son. If that's the case, then we should be living our lives to the level to honor the fact that he sees us as righteous. I don't live holy because I feel like I can earn something. I've already earned it. I live holy because I want to live up to the standard that he's placed me at. My holiness can't earn my salvation, but my holiness can sure ruin it. And when I say ruin it, I don't mean lose it. When I say ruin it, this is what I mean. I mean I can live my whole life being filled with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And no one have a clue that I even know that. That's what I mean. I can walk around with the same power. Listen to this. The same power that got Jesus up out of a grave three days after he had died. 
living in you and I. And we can show up to parties, and we can show up to this, and we can keep doing this, and we can tithe halfway when we feel like it, when we don't, whatever. We just give money, throw money here and there. We show up to church halfway as long as nothing else is going on. We read our Bible halfway as long as nothing else is going on. And we live our lives apathetic with the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead living in us. That's what it means when it says, be holy as I am holy. It means be set apart as I am set apart. It means you should live your life in a way that if I were living my life in your flesh, it would look the same way. That doesn't mean you should condemn yourself when you sin. It doesn't mean that you should walk around with guilt because of what you've done. It means that you should hold your life to a higher standard. I I believe this. I believe you can tell somebody's worth by what standard they hold their life to. Let me rephrase this. I believe you can see how somebody sees their own worth by the way that people live their life. I I believe that. I see my, and I'm going to say this very cautiously. I see myself, and I'm learning. I'm not there yet, but I see myself as the righteousness of God. Here's how you and I, we should see ourselves as perfect in the eyes of Papa. That's how he sees us. So I see myself as perfect in his eyes. I see my wife as perfect in his eyes. I see my daughter as perfect in his eyes. There's nothing that they could do to ever change that. Nothing. Nothing. My daughter's done crazy stuff in her little three years. Nothing bad. Just like, you know what I mean? Just, and that never changes how I see her, ever. So because I see myself as righteous and perfect in his eyes, I hold myself to that standard in how I live. Right? So, well, why don't I lust after other women? Why don't I covet what my neighbors have? Why don't I just buck authority and keep doing my own thing. Why don't I do this stuff? It's not because I have a law that says don't do this. It's because I see myself as he sees me. And as he sees me as righteous, he has called me to a place that no one could possibly live on their own before Jesus came. But he calls me to a place to live my life at a standard that when the world looks at me, they can actually see my righteousness. The world doesn't look at you and see your holiness. They look at you and see your righteousness that's made clear by your holiness. Does that make sense? Your holiness cannot earn earn your righteousness. Okay? But you can live holy because of your righteousness. And you should. That's why Peter says, this is after the cross. This is after the resurrection. This is after the Holy Spirit falls. This is after the church starts being established. And then Peter says, be holy as I am holy, talking about the Lord. Quoting Leviticus. Leviticus? I thought Jesus threw that away. I mean, a lot of people are really shocked by what I just said. Um... Listen to this. Listen to this. Man, it feels good to not have notes. Um, First Peter, he says this. So then, prepare your hearts. Don't turn there. Prepare your hearts and mind for action. Stay alert and fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape, listen to this, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't believe. 
or when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For Scripture says, this is Leviticus 11, you are to be holy because I am holy. You are to be holy because I am holy. Now, how in the world, I mean, literally what Peter and what the book of Leviticus is saying, that's Leviticus 11.44 and Leviticus 19.2. This is what it's saying. It's saying, you are to be as I am. Say what? You are to be as I am. So what does it mean to be holy? It means to bear his image because he is holy. How do I bear his image? By way of righteousness that bought me my image back. How do I live in righteousness? By holding myself to the standard of living holy. And it becomes this dance back and forth where the more you hold yourself to the holy standard, the more you'll understand how righteous you are. And the more you understand how righteous you are, the higher you'll raise the standard. And you keep living in this back and forth that is literally called glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. We are being transformed, Paul says, into the image of the anointed one. What does that mean? It means every day of your life, you're being closer and closer and closer, brought into the image that you are designed to bear, which is his. And let me, let me, let me just, man, I got, I got 10 minutes. I got 10 minutes. Actually, I got as much time as I want because I'm the one with the mic. Um, but I'm going to wrap it up because I see some of y'all just, you know, fading out. Don't do that. Don't do that. If y'all want your, your hour service and then Cracker Barrel, I'm sorry. You found the wrong place today. Um, <laughs> but Waffle House is open all night. Um, you know, we, we like to throw around uh, Adam. We like to throw around Adam as if he's the devil. You know what I'm saying? All right, brother, don't, you know, don't do Adam. All right. Let me, I just need to fix a couple things. First off, you know what Jesus was called? The last Adam. Not because when Jesus died, Adam died. By saying he's the last Adam, that means he is the forever Adam. That's what that means. What does it mean to be Adam? Adam's name means human. Or man. So to be Adam means to be human. Now, let me say this. The only person in the history of planet Earth that ever bore the perfect, flawless image of God other than Jesus was, guess who? Adam. Now, did Adam sin? Sure. Did Eve sin? Sure. Did you sin? Sure. Right? But we have in our minds, and I'm not going to get too deep, but we have in our minds, when the, when the gospel began to spread, the, the big thought in Rome was this thing called Gnosticism. That was the big thing. Not agnostic, Gnosticism. And another way theologians call that is dualism. And what it's, in, what it's um, inspired by is, is Plato and other philosophers that, didn't, that weren't Christians, didn't believe in God. Philosophers that taught that there was a natural, physical, real world that was bad. But then there was this floaty, kind of mystical other world 
that was perfect bliss and our whole lives is based on escaping this natural ugliness to float away into whatever this eternal bliss is. That's Plato. Does that sound familiar to you? And again, you won't find that in here. But you will find that in the teaching of Plato, Aristotle. You'll find that in all the teaching of the philosophers. You'll find it. Philo. How do I know that? Because I read it. <laughs> a little flat on us. <laughs> All right, bring it in. You'll, so you'll, you'll find that teaching. And so what the early church had to fight against, what the early church had to fight against was the idea, because they're living in this, this Plato, hypercharged Greek-Roman culture, very philosophical, what they fought against was the idea that the gospel was based on the kingdom coming here, but all that they've ever been taught is getting away from here and floating away somewhere else. And so there was this back and forth and back and forth. And, at first, and man, I wish I had time, and I've taught this a little bit before. In First Thessalonians, the big rapture thing is actually Paul trying to teach them away from everything I just said. But... They have the, and so there's this back and forth. And so you bring it into today. And when people read stuff like Paul saying, living by the spirit, not by the flesh, because we've processed over the centuries all of Christianity through Greek and Roman Gnosticism and dualism, we think when Paul is saying flesh, he's talking about anything in the natural world is evil and bad and icky and nasty, but everything in this giant, far away, 10 billion miles away, light your galaxy. There's a bunch of babies floating on clouds with wings, with harps that we are trying to escape to. And so we say everything of the flesh is bad and everything of what we say, the spirit, what we're talking about is ghost. Everything of the spirit is good. And what Jesus came to announce by him coming to the world what he came to announce was, when I said it is good in Genesis 1, I didn't change my mind. This is good. I placed lights in the sky and called it good. I separated the land and the water and called it good. I separated the sky and the land and called it good. I created man and called it good. I created animals and trees and birds and plants and called it good. I put the stars in the sky. I put the seasons in motion and called all of it good. And when Adam was raised up, do you know what he says? Not good. He says, this is very good. Let us make man in our image. And Adam comes out of the womb of the earth and bears the perfect, complete image of Yahweh. When he sinned and Eve sinned, I don't know if they lost the image. I think they put a block in between the image and what other people saw through them. That's just me. When Jesus came, the Bible calls him, this is why, the last Adam. Why does he say that? Because Jesus came and put Adam back in his place. Who is Adam? You and me. To, let me say this. To bear the image of Jesus is to bear the image of Adam. I, I know that's not popular, 
But Jesus did not come to curse the name of man. We think that. He didn't come to curse. He came to put man back in his place. That's what everything I'm talking about today is. Is that we've, we've got a lot of things that we've started to buy into in the church that we need to cut off. He tells the Israelites, you're about to go into a land that I'm going to give you. And when you get there, you are to destroy every native person, every idol, everything they've built, all their livestock. Destroy all of it. Why? Because if you don't, when you get into that land, if you read this in the ESV, he says, you'll begin to whore other, uh, toward other gods. When, if you don't destroy the idols, when you get into the land, you'll start serving them. And guess what happens? They go into the land, and instead of destroying them, they start to make peace with them. And over time, because they refuse to destroy them, guess what they do? They're led astray to start serving other idols. And by the time you get to Isaiah, they don't even halfway know who God is. They don't know the voice of the Lord. They don't know who they are. They don't know the land they're in. And the Lord is trying to send them into exile, not because he's evil, but because he needs to wake them up. Arise, O sleeper. Dry bones, come to life. Who are the dry bones? Israel. Elijah, or excuse me, Ezekiel, speak to the bones and tell them to come back to life. And he begins to speak, and there's a rattling, and there's a shaking. And then all these bones and limbs start to come back together. And then there's breath that rushes in, and they become life. And they become man. And they become fully alive. And he says, through Ezekiel, through Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through Hezekiah, through Joel, through Amos, through Malachi, through all the prophets, what he is calling us into is the idea that Christ comes to establish his kingdom and to make you and I fully human again. Because to be fully human means to be fully image bearer. And to be fully image bearer means to look like Jesus. He knit you in, in your mother's womb. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, why on earth would he do that to something that's going to be blown up? He, you know, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Why? Because he intended you to bear the image that he knit in your mother's womb. You have a purpose. You have a design. You have a call. You have hope. You have a future. But, but, for us to realize that fully, for us to see the day dawn to its full exposure of light across America, we are going to have to put our trust back in the Lord. We'll soar high on wings like eagle. We will run and we will not faint. That, that's who we have to be. Our trust has to be put back in the Lord. And when we begin to do that, as my people who are called by my name humble themselves, turn to me and pray that I would forgive their sins, I'll turn to them, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. That, that's, that's the promise we have. And so um, I, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And, um, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to do offering. And I had a whole section about um, giving today um, in my other message that I guess I'll do next week maybe. But... Um, we, we just, we can't expect the Lord to do anything in us if we don't tithe. And, 
And I think people have abused this over and over and over and over and over um, and have manipulated people into giving money into things that weren't legit and all this other stuff. And so because of that, tithing has a bad name. But in Malachi, it says, my people have robbed me. And they say, well, how have we robbed you? Because you haven't given me the tithe and offering. But he says, but if you'll test me in this, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing you won't have room to contain. I think, I think the Lord would begin to accelerate things that he's withholding right now if we would just tithe. And again, I can either be your shepherd or your best friend. And I, we, we say this a lot, the church doesn't need your money. No, but your identity does. Man, I'm a, I'm a son and daughter of the king. Well, you don't tithe. So are you? I mean, do you really believe that he is who he says he is? Right? I mean, that's, that's an easy trust. That is an easy trust exercise. If you're watching this, let me just speak this over, because we're going to leave this in the podcast. If, if, you, if you watch this, we, we love all the people, because there is a lot of people that listen to the podcast every week, that go to the app and watch every week, and all that stuff. If you do that, and you don't give into what the Lord is doing in your life through this, it is disobedience. Well, how, how could you say that? I don't. The Bible does. So, I mean, don't, don't question me. Go to Malachi and tear it out if you'd like. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm moving into this season, and we're moving into this season, this, this going into our third and seventh year, our fourth and eighth year, I guess I should say. Going into our fourth and eighth year. For me, eight. For you, four. In this church, as we're going into this year, remember what I taught last week. For three years, you don't touch a tree that you planted. But in the fourth year, every single bit of it is to be consecrated to the Lord. Well, as we're moving into this fourth year, I'm, we have got to consecrate everything to the Lord. And that begins with your money. That begins with your money. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I know this has been a lot today. I know I didn't have any notes, so I'm sorry about that. Not, I mean, I guess I'm not going to apologize. But um, we, we just, we got to be the ones with hope. If you can't have hope, delete social media. Like, I mean, seriously, if you can't, this is all, all joking aside. If you can't have hope and still have social media, it's time for that to go. But, but we've got to be the ones that while the world is losing their minds, no matter who won this election, half our country was going to start losing their minds. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. Right? No matter who won, no matter who, what's going to happen in the next few weeks, no matter how many lawsuits, no matter what, we've got to be the ones that are steady and constant. Our future is secure. I know what's happening tomorrow. I know who holds my tomorrow. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've already overcome the world. So, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pass the bucket around. So if you need to go ahead and prepare to give, you can text, app, whatever you need to do. And... um. But I want to pray over us, and then we'll do that, and then we'll be, we'll be done. Lord, I pray that you would just seal some of this stuff in us. I pray that you would seal our identity within us, but I pray that we would start to hold that at a way higher standard. If, if I am truly the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I, I need to start living my life to the level that I honor who I am. I want to give you the reward of your suffering. And the reward of your suffering is literally a life laid down. And so, Lord, 
as for me and my house, that's what we're going to do. We're going to lay our lives down. We're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to lean not on our own understanding. And we're in all of our ways, in all of our ways, you're going to begin to exalt us to a place where we begin to boldly approach the throne of grace, where we begin to do, um, where we begin to ask and imagine things that you start going so far beyond that the world looks into this and says, I don't know what's happening there. But while the rest of the country and the rest of the world is losing their ever loving mind, somehow they're constant like a tree planted by streams of living water that bear fruit in every season, that leaves never wither. That's who we're gonna be. So I thank you for that, Lord. I love you so much. We love you so much in your name. Amen.